To start with, there were way more than two stories going around. Of course there were. Every people had their own versions, the primordial waters churning, the emergence of divine characters, vipers and sea monsters and celestial battles, order emerging from chaos at the will of gods, the creation of human beings, but these are the two they ended up with. I mean, these are the two that we ended up with. Genesis 1, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Genesis 1, that's the one that everybody remembers. People of faith are just people who've grown up in or been steeped in Western culture. God makes the world in seven days, or six, I guess. Six days that if you want to get into it, are highly structured with dozens of linguistic and literary and poetic devices that leave the text symmetrical and rhythmic. God speaks, God makes, God sees that it's good. There's evening and morning, God calls it a day, do it again. God speaks, God makes, it's good. Evening and morning, a day, do it again. There are parallels between days one and four, days two and five, days three and six. There's a progression from lower orders of life to higher orders of life. So in Genesis one, it's at the end of the story that human beings are created in God's image. Let us make humans in our image, God says. And so God makes them, two individuals. God makes them, the whole human species. The Hebrew splits it out like that. Two individuals and people, a unity of a kind. And then God sees everything God made and it's all, it's all indeed, says the Hebrew, very good. And then God rests. Genesis two, or beginning just a few verses, and you just heard Vince read it, but it's the one that starts in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up. So there's this kind of barren landscape in Genesis 2. Barren landscape from which God creates a human being out of dust and breath. And then God puts the dust creature into a garden that God had planted, and the dust creature finds out what's allowed and what's off limits and discovers loneliness. Because, I think because it's good for the patriarchy, what people do tend to remember from Genesis 2 is the part of the story where God takes a rib from the dust creature, who's a man, and makes one more creature, the final act of God's creation, a woman. And what people forget about this story or don't learn is that as the Torah commentary I read says, with the appearance of woman, creation is complete. Like, mic drop or whatever, what God forget, what people forget from this story or don't learn is that when God says the dust creature needs a helper, that's the same word that's used elsewhere in the Bible to describe the kind of helper that God is. You know, I've got as much of that as you might. So this seemed to me like as good a place as any to start our do-overs series, you know, like because it's first full stop, and because it is so clearly two stories, one right after the other. I mean, that's a do-over. And I have to say, it's not that I grew up thinking of it that way. Lots of people didn't grow up thinking of it as two stories. When, when I was growing up, there was some sort of wriggling through the text that made chapters one and two, don't worry, I was taught, hang together. They definitely are just one story. What a relief it was as an adult to learn gradually, like in my own church and then in grad school, 
what had been staring me in the face all along. They are two distinct stories, like things happen in different orders. They're from two different sources and times in the tradition. The seven-day version that everybody remembers, that's probably from like 6th century BCE, probably for some liturgical use to be prayed together and heard over and over again. The barren landscape dust bunny one, that one is old. That's probably from some other early Israelite theological tradition. Two stories. What a great place to start this series. In the very beginning, there was a do-over. And then I cracked open the Torah commentary and read, chapter two is not another creation story. And then I cracked open beloved professor and pastor Walter Brueggemann's commentary and read, we should not speak of a second parallel story of creation just two sentences. Like, why didn't I read any of that before I sent the scripture readings to Haley for the bulletin? Why, in fact, didn't I read that before that I realized I had no trademark winsome personal narrative to tell as part of this sermon? Or that I'm not sure what the so what of a sermon is that's apparently so far about how biblical texts are built. You're not really supposed to talk about the process of a sermon in a sermon. It's really bad form. So then, thank God, I listened to my favorite Torah podcast. We've all got one, right? And the rabbi and the co-host, and maybe weirdly, Mayim Bialik, who you might know from the Big Bang Theory, or if you're from the 90s, Blossom, but she's also a scientist and a student of Judaism. All of the people on this podcast agreed that yes, these are two completely different, incompatible versions of the creation story. One right after the other, right here at the beginning. Okay. Blossom and a rabbi I don't know also take this as a given. And they learned that from their rabbi. They're not just out there on some podcast spitballing. Good. I've got permission. I can go ahead with the sermon as planned. Of all of the creation stories that were going around, sea monsters, churning primordial waters, celestial battles, order from chaos, etc., etc., here's what makes these two unique, or some of what makes them unique which is maybe even part of why these are the two they ended up with, the two we ended up with. To start, neither of these stories is very interested in like the realm of heaven or the nature of primordial chaos. In version one, we get just the one sentence, part of the one sentence. The earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while the wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Mostly, Unlike other creation myths from that part of the world, these stories stick to what happened on the ground. The setting for both of these stories is between earth and heaven. Neither story is very interested in how God came to be. There's no divine court of gods fighting among themselves for dominance. There's no story of how God got here. There are no explicit claims or speculation about the nature of God. There's just a statement that God is. Turns out that the part about the woman being made as the final completing act of creation, apparently there are no other existing Near Eastern creation stories that include specifically the creation of women. I find it hard to believe, but to be honest, I didn't do like a complete review of the literature. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm not sure that it's been that helpful on balance to have that part of the story in the canon, but it is one of the things that's unique about these stories. And a thing that's unique about their coexistence, their cheek by jowl incompatibility right here at the very beginning of the book, is that they signal to the reader, to the listener, to us, that this book is gonna be something particular. This book is gonna require 
It's going to invite, by its very nature, a particular kind of engagement. These two stories that may or may not function as one, two individual stories, they are together a kind. These two stories proclaim something in form and content, both in structure and substance. This text, this story, this book, it's not like other stories. This text, this story, this book is about a God who exists. Full stop, let's not get into how or whatever. A God who exists, and by that pre-existing God's will, everything else exists too. And it's good, now let's get started again. That's the first version, the one everyone remembers, the seven-day version. It's probably for some liturgical use. To be prayed together and to proclaim that God is. The first version, like I said, it's newer, probably from the sixth century BCE, probably from the time when God's people were in exile in Babylon. Babylon, a place whose creation story starts with sea monsters and battle. Babylon, whose gods were the kind of gods who could tell and control the future. Babylon, whose gods had, hadn't they kind of defeated the God of Israel? To the ones praying together in exile, saying again and again, God speaks, God makes, it's good evening and morning a day. Do it again. To the ones praying while homesick and exhausted and tempted to despair, this liturgy says, our God is the God of all creation. Our God can be trusted even when it feels like all contemporary signs point to God's absence. Our God is bound to us in a particular way. Our God exists outside time and space. Our God is also as close as breath. Our God's vast otherness is what gives us hope beyond the present circumstances. God speaks, God makes its good evening and morning a day. Do it again. It is an article of faith. It's the article of faith. Start over at the beginning. We need to hear it. We need to say it. We need to pray it together, living in circumstances when the days blur together, when we long for what used to be, when it seems like God's promised justice, that dream of mutuality and equality and equity that looked like life in a garden in Eden, when it seems like it's never going to come. We need to start over and say it again. We need to start over. We need the second story, the barren landscape, the realization that we need each other, that we are not made for solitude, that the company we need isn't God, that the helper we need isn't other creatures, isn't nature. None of the other things in all of life or death will do except each other. We need to tell each other with that second story that we have work to do, caring for the land and each other. We need to say it again and again because like that poem that Vince read, things come undone and we are back into the chaos. We are in exile. There is a pandemic. The one we love has died. Made of dust, they return to it. All signs may point to ruin. There is evening and there's mourning. We call it a day, do it again. We need to say again and again that we have freedom to live before God unashamed, to have our needs met. We need to remind ourselves over and over again that there are limits, there are boundaries. 
that when those boundaries are crossed, it results in pain for ourselves and others. That what we take, that when we take what is not ours, it leads to ruin. We need to start again. We need that second story to remember we have agency and choice and that our choices matter for ourselves, for others, for, for the good, indeed very good world. It's bad form to talk about through the sermon, but I had a dream that I would crawl back through my notes, through the order I've tried to make, to a place where there's less and less form, more and more chaos. I think I've succeeded maybe in that regard, but there's more and more unknown, more and more mystery. And we crawl all the way back to the beginning where there is only, moving above it all, only God, ready to begin again.